Hey, good morning, my friends. Welcome to Church in the Mall Online. Welcome home. We are in the tail end now of Acts, and we are looking at Paul's third missionary journey, which is found in Acts 19 and 20. Uh, we're going to be focused in this city of Ephesus, and here it is on a map right here next to me. You can see that it's located over here near modern-day Turkey. Over here is Greece. Paul's entire missionary journey would head up this way and then back around. And so just to give you framework of where we're going to be today. Now, Ephesus is a very interesting, interesting city. Here are some remains that are left from it today. This is the library. You can tell it's a place of great education, information, social structure. Uh, here are some of the city streets. Back here is the aqueduct coming in. You can see what the town might have looked like. And what I want to tell you is during this particular section of Acts, Luke is hitting a climax in Paul's ministry. In fact, what he's going to write about, he's writing about that's happening in this major city of Ephesus, which is a major center for the Mediterranean world. Uh, all areas of trade throughout the world would come through here. This was a hub. Um, it was full of culture and diversity, different kinds of people and language. Uh, lots of money flowed in and out of this city. Lots of temples uh, to multiple gods, politics, soldiers, merchants, slaves, and most importantly, it was a hub of power for social and civic, for religious and spiritual, and that's exactly where we're going to go today. We're going to be looking at the power of God at work in and through his people. So before we go any farther, um, what I want to do is I want to actually jump into 2 Corinthians because what you may not know is that Paul, this mighty powerhouse, this man who came to know Christ in such a powerful way and writes 25% of the New Testament letters, actually wrestled with some very depressing and difficult times in his life. He actually captures them here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. I'd like to read it for you. And what I want you to see here is Paul is reflecting on this area of Asia. That's exactly where Ephesus is located in his day and time. It was the area of Asia. And what he says here, he says, My brothers and sisters, we have to tell you that when we were in Asia, the troubles we faced were nearly more than we could handle. The burdens we bore nearly crushed us. Our spirit dwindled to nothing. For a while, we weren't sure we would make it through the whole ordeal. We thought we would have to serve out our death sentence right then and there. As a result, we realized that we could no longer rely on ourselves and that we must trust solely in God, who possesses the power to raise the dead. Miraculously, God himself delivered us from the cold hands of death. We again place our hope in him alone, and we know he will deliver us. Join us in this work, my friends. Lend us a hand through prayer so that many will give thanks for the gifts that come to us when God answers the prayer of so many. I love this because I don't know about you, but this pandemic has been uh, detrimental to my own spiritual health, my mental health, my emotional health, and, and the mental, spiritual, and emotional health of my family members. We are struggling trying to decide what is right, and I'm sure that you are too. And with so much information coming our way and so many options and opportunities, it's hard to know what's right. Paul is wrestling with something similar. He's got these great options of places to go, but Paul, or God takes him here to Ephesus. 
And in this moment, Paul is going to face some of the most challenging things he's ever faced before. Certainly he's faced death and shipwrecks and all sorts of challenges, but now he's going to truly be handed over in a way to the whims of the world. Much like many of us feel maybe handed over to the whims of the world where things just aren't fair, uh, life doesn't seem to make a lot of sense in some regards, but the truth is we are stepping boldly into this unknown realm, trusting God just like Paul does. And so what we're going to find in these two chapters is one of the most striking examples of God's power and work through the Ephesus people. It, this is going to be something that Paul will remember and use throughout all his letters to the Corinthians, to the Colossians, to the Ephesians, and there's even speak of it to the Galatians, that the power of God is manifest in something that you and I must learn to embrace. Let's jump ahead in 2 Corinthians to chapter 12, um, and what I want to share here is this particular verse that begins in 9. Paul saying these words, My grace is enough to cover and sustain you, speaking of God. My power is made perfect in weakness. So ask me about my thorn, inquire about my weakness, and I will gladly go on and on and on. I would rather stake my claim in these and have the power of the anointed one at home within me. I am at peace and even take pleasure in any weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and afflictions for the sake of the anointed. Because when I am at my weakest, God makes me strong. My friends, today we are going to focus on that exact concept of how by embracing our weakness, God's power is manifest in and through us. So grab your Bibles and let's jump now to Acts chapter 19. And what I love about this particular chapter is we're going to see moment after moment where God is going to work through Paul in a way that even Paul is overwhelmed by. He just can't believe that the power of God would do the things that God does. But isn't that just like God? To move things forward for his purpose, his good. So let's begin. Uh, verse 19, uh, or chapter 19, verse 1, we find that Apollos was in Corinth. Paul has now made his journey over to Ephesus. He runs into a group of disciples and he asks them, wait a minute, you know, you're speaking a lot of truth here, but you're missing some key pieces. Um, were, were you guys baptized in Christ? And they said, no, we were baptized in the baptism of John. And if you can remember back into the Gospels, John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, who has been set forth by God to be sort of a prophet who speaks out in the wilderness saying, let's make the path straight for the Lord and let's invite people into the ceremonial washing and cleansing of their bodies and souls so that they are ready for the coming of the anointed one, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, these people stopped before they got to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they have been baptized in anticipation, waiting for the coming Messiah. Well, Paul begins to inform them that that Messiah has come and made himself known in the person of Jesus Christ. And now they can become true followers of Jesus Christ and become children of the living God. And so Paul invites them into a baptism in Jesus Christ where they now not so much go for the ceremonially cleanliness, but now they die to self and resurrect into new life in Christ. And so as they do that, they become believers and Paul places his hands on them and prays for the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit to go forth. And something radical happens that probably blew Paul's mind. They began acting just like the original disciples acted 
in Acts chapter 2. At Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon them and they had tongues of, of flames floating above their heads and they began speaking in all these different t languages and dialects and tongues and they began prophesying while these people do the exact same thing. And so in a way, we're seeing God's outpouring of His Spirit moving forth. Now, let me just point out that Paul has done nothing to create this other than being faithful and being able to share the hope that is in him with others. Now, I can't tell you how many times we, are, we have opportunities to share our hope with others. And so one of the things I'm gonna ask you to do this week is to pray and say, God, I'm here, I'm willing, and I'm available. Use me to share the hope that is in me with others. When you do, the power of God goes forth and does things that we could just barely even begin to imagine. Well, the story doesn't end there. The next thing that happens is almost more crazy and even outlandish. Paul is preaching to this group of people, and as he's doing so, people are coming up with blankets, towels, articles of clothing, handkerchiefs, and they're touching his skin. And then they're running back home, and they're touching their sick and anointing them with these garments. They're touching those that are demon-possessed, and all of a sudden, healing and cleansing, the power of God moving forth, enters into this community of people. And not only are people made healthy and, and redeemed from sickness and death, but then we even see the demons flee in the power of God's presence. All this is done, again, not by anything that Paul has said or anything that Paul's even done. He's simply been faithful to share the hope that is in him. But it's God's power that moves forth through that faithfulness and begins doing a work that is so amazing that Luke captures it here for all eternity. Paul's mind must have just almost exploded when he saw the power of God move in this way but it doesn't end there. There's a third story that's captured in these pages. The next thing that happens is he comes across a, a group of people, or Luke pauses for a minute to speak about a group of people, these exorcists who are about to interact with a man who's demon-possessed. Now, they're a very interesting group. They're supposedly sons of this high Jewish priest named Seca, but there is no record of a high priest named Seca in the Jewish faith. So probably what happened is this is a group of perhaps Jews or perhaps men that became Jewish, but they're so wrapped up in the Ephesian culture that they've often used witchcraft and magic or anything else they can do to adapt to their means and provide what they want. You know, when you think about magic, um, we're not so much talking about hocus pocus all the time. We're, we're talking about using anything or any means in order to substitute God out and try to become our own God. So when I cast a spell or, or I, I believe in some sort of magic uh, potion or a way in which we do a ritual that somehow that will redeem me, that becomes my God. And you can see why this is a direct front to having true faith in the living God. You know, magic, unfortunately, can't do much, but our God can. And so what happens is these particular exorcists decide they're going to use the power in the name of Jesus just like they've witnessed Paul do it. So they come in contact with this demon-possessed man, and they say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, we cast you out. Now, it's as if there's a long pause in the story, and Luke captures this next scene that just makes me smile. The demon stops what he's doing. He looks right at these men, and he says, Jesus I know, Paul I know, 
but who the hell are you? He then begins to beat them, uh, ripping off their clothes and uh, bloodying them, and they all run out of the house uh, stark naked. And you can just imagine the uproar in the scene. This caused such a reaction within that community that people from all over began gathering near Paul, bringing all of their magical implements, books, witchcraft items, um, relics, anything they could find, and they put them in a pile and began burning them. Luke says that it was about 50,000 silver pieces worth, which means this is a huge wealth and treasure that these people are burning because they no longer need to rely on such relics. They now have realized there is a power in this God that Paul talks about that they can have at their fingertips. Now, God is not some sort of magic creature that we can just uh, whim and, and wield as if he's a tool for us. No, he's a living divine being who invites us into relationship with him. And just like any good parent, the blessings that he bestows on us are like the blessings we bestow on our children. They're endless, full of grace and love and a desire to know us and for us to know him. The next thing that we're going to see is a transition into how the word of God begins to spread and word gets out about these miracles. And it's going to cause Paul some major problems at the end of 19 going into 20. And we're not going to get into that today. We're actually going to pick that up on Wednesday. If you want to tune in on Wednesday afternoon, we will have another video that will go further into what happens next in this story. But for the sake of time and, and for our meeting today, I want to ask you a question. Do you know the hope that is in you through Jesus Christ? Maybe you don't. And this is an opportunity to say, you know, there's something missing in my life. There's something I've longed for that I've just, I've never been able to put my fingers on it. I love what Paul says back in chapter 15 when he's talking to these super intelligent philosophical Greeks. He says, all the religions of the world have been created through these cultures in an effort for people to grope in the darkness for the real true God. Maybe you feel like you've groped in the darkness. Well, my friends, you don't have to search anymore. Now is the time to invite this living God through the person of Jesus Christ into your life. It's simple. There's no magic in it whatsoever. It's just, God, I want to know you. Come and make yourself known to me. I dare you to pray that prayer and see how the living God begins to react and move in your life. He's always been there, my friends. But now it's time to recognize him. For those of you that know the power of the living God in your life, now is the time to begin focusing that. You know, true faith is trusting that God is more than enough, that he'll make good on everything he said he would, that his character would remain supreme and never falter. Do we allow God to live out those truths in our lives? Are we willing to share the hope that's in us with others? Are we willing to trust God in such a way that we're not afraid to invite or to engage or to share hope in a way that people can grasp and understand? There, in the midst of those difficult situations, the power of God moves forth. And for those that trust him, we get to stand back with eyes wide open, seeing the power of God moving in and among us. But there is nothing like that that I've ever experienced in my life. 
let's take some time. I want to pray for you. I want to spend some time in communion with you. So please grab your elements. Today I've brought a, a cracker and of course I've got my coffee. And while we're engaging in this uh, with those of you at home, feel free to get those elements. And as you do, I, I go ahead and just hold your hands out over them and let's just pray. Again, these aren't magic, but we're simply asking God's presence to come into the moment with us that together we might share in something so universal. Uh, it transcends all cultures and times where people all over the world and throughout history have experienced the living God. Let us join together in that moment. Lord, as we've gathered these elements in this time, uh, would you come into our homes, into our lives, into our experiences, that we might taste and see that you are good. God, show us your power in our lives. Allow us to trust and step boldly into the unknown, knowing that when we do, in our weakness, you are strong. Your strength is made perfect through our weakness. Allow us to be able to come to you boldly saying, God, we are struggling, suffering, weak. And in that, God, we know that you are strong, that you are the one who moves mountains and parts seas, who vanquishes giants and who scares off demons. You are the God of our hope and our future. Use these elements, consecrate them in your name that we might experience you in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. My friends, go ahead and take your cracker, your bread, your donut, whatever it is you have grabbed for this moment. Hold it up in your hands like I'm doing now. And we're going to recognize that when Christ took this before his disciples and broke it, he said, this is my body broken for you. What we recognize here is that a real living God took on flesh and then emptied himself into a life that was perfectly devoted to God the Father. He then gave up that life for you and I in a death that was not fair and unjust. He had no sins in which he had to pay for and therefore became an ultimate sacrifice, one that could not be kept dead. And so the resurrected body of Christ moves forward into our lives so that you and I become the temple of the living God. My friends, take and eat, recognizing that his body broken invites us into that kingdom and into that special relationship. Now take your cup, whatever liquid it is that you've poured into it. As Christ did this, it was a cup of wine. And the symbolism of it is the crushing of the grapes. And in the same way as the bread is broken, the grapes are crushed in order that we might experience the living Christ in our lives. Just like grapes pour forth their juice, Christ poured forth his blood in ultimate sacrifice that God deemed holy and special, enough to cover a multitude of sins. That's why when Christ was on the cross, he said, it is, you are forgiven. Now, forever, never ceasing. My friends, take your cup and drink into this new covenant with Christ that you and I now are made alive, born again, created new in the spiritual realm of God's children. You know, this doesn't have to be the conclusion of our time together. 
we are here of one accord in Christ Jesus. And as we go forth as a body of Christ, may we go forth boldly into the power of God. I ask you to invite Jesus to move in your life, to look for opportunities in which you can share the hope that is in you. This world is starving for hope and you are God's hands and feet. Go forth sharing God's love. In Jesus' name, amen.